He was born in Atlanta, Georgia. His family was a comfortable middle-class family. Some of them were even ministers. And he had one of his very first experiences of racism and prejudice at the age of six when a white playmate of his told him that they could no longer play together because they were going to be attending segregated schools. He grew up to become a minister himself. He was a social activist, and he was assassinated at the age of 39. He was Martin Luther King Jr. They were a couple who were excited to be engaged, to start this new chapter of their life, to be planning their wedding, and they got to the part of what I think is the best part of wedding planning, the cake. And so they went to a bakery, and they asked for the, the bakery to make them a cake for their celebration, and they were told, no, we will not serve you. They are David Mullins and Charlie Craig. He graduated from college. He used to be an elementary school teacher, but unfortunately, due to a series of health complications during the recession, he lost his housing, he lost his, his job, and his economic stability. He now sleeps outdoors on concrete. He has friends who are afraid to receive poisoned food from strangers who have had ice cubes thrown at them in the middle of the night. And he does a podcast to help the unhoused, to offer advice and anyone who will hear, who will listen, so that he and his friends may not be written off so quickly. His name is Theodore Henderson. They were women who were mothers, daughters, sisters, aunts, friends, business owners. And this last week, their lives were cut short because of racism and hate and misogyny. They were Soon Chung Park, Soon Cha Kim, Yung A Yu, Hyung Jung Grant, Zhao Ji Tong, and Dao Yo Feng. For far too long have people been told that they were not enough. For far too long have people been told that because of the color of their skin, who they love, where they are from, the current circumstance that they find themselves in, or any other number of things, that they are not worthy of love and dignity and respect. Who are the marginalized that you see today? When I posed this question to our youth that gather together on Sunday evenings, we came up with a whole list of people. And so then my second question to them was, how and where do we see hope in the midst of injustice? And how do we share that hope with others in our world? Today's scripture, we're looking at another miracle. And I pray this morning that we will discover the ways that God will reach out to give hope to all people. And I pray that we will also discover what our work is in the midst of all of this as we continue to journey towards justice for all. Now, the Gospel of Mark is, um, was written for the very early followers of Jesus. It is a very fast, quick-paced kind of gospel. Uh, we're able to see the power of Jesus very, very quickly. And in Mark, there's a lot that's left out. A biggie is the birth of Jesus, 
there's uh, parables and beatitudes. None of that is in there. A lot of things that we find in the other Gospels cannot be found in Mark. I mean, one of the very first things that we read in Mark is the baptism of Jesus. Talk about being thrown into the deep end there. However, throughout all of Mark, there is this great mystery because the authors of Mark believed that we weren't going to fully understand who Jesus was until the crucifixion, that the crucifixion was the culmination of our understanding and realization of th- that Jesus was the Son of God. And so when we hear Jesus telling people after he has performed miracles or after he has actually revealed himself as the Son of God, and he tells them to not go tell anybody, this is literally the worst kept secret of all time. Also something that we see throughout Mark um, is that often power is being misused and abused. And so Mark was written for people to give them encouragement to continue to fight against this power, but to also change it. And so right off the bat from this morning's scripture, we see that a, a man with leprosy has come to Jesus, and he is kneeling and begging to be made clean. This man doesn't have a name or any other defining attributes about himself except for the fact that he's sick. That's all that we're told about him. And now we know that he has leprosy, And more than likely, he had painful boils all over his body, and he would have been excommunicated from his community. People with leprosy were separated from others in fear that it was contagious both physically and spiritually. In Leviticus, there are laws that tell us how to cleanse yourself, how to be rid of this disease. And so I'm sure that this man leaned on those, did those, prayed that he would someday be able to come back into full community. Scripture goes on to say that Jesus was moved with pity. But in other translations, more accurate translations, some people think, um, they believe that pity actually translates to anger. And so I want to reread these first two verses um, with that in mind. A leper came to him begging him, And kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with anger, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose. Be made clean. Being moved with anger here, friends, changes the narrative. And we might be asking ourselves, why was Jesus moved with anger rather than pity? How does that change the narrative? In a commentary of mine that I have, true to our native land, it says that some insight could be gained from the discussion of black rage. William Greer and Price Cobb, psychiatrists and authors, published black rage following the 1960 riots in Watts, Newark, and Detroit. This was an analysis to look at what it really means, what it really feels like to be an African-American in a predominantly white society. And they challenge us by saying this, slip for a moment into the soul of a black girl whose womanhood is blighted, not because she is ugly, but because she is black. And by definition, all blacks are ugly. 
become for a moment a citizen of Birmingham, Alabama, and try to understand his grief and dismay when innocent children are slain while they worship for no other reason than they are black. For a moment, be any black person anywhere, and you will feel the waves of hopelessness that engulfed black men and women when Martin Luther King was murdered. As a sapling bent low stores energy for a violent backswing, blacks bent double by oppression have stored energy, which will be released in the form of rage. The commentary goes on to say that Dr. Cornell West, who is a philosopher and activist, reminds us to refocus that rage into appropriate ways. Dr. West says this, focus this rage where it belongs, on any form of racism, sexism, homophobia, or economic injustice that impedes the opportunities of everyday people to live lives of dignity and decency. And this, my friends, is what I believe is happening when we change, when we know that Jesus was angered rather than pitied. He sees someone who has been pushed out of their community, who has not been given the opportunity to live a life of decency and dignity, and he is angered by this. And so he breaks all of the rules. He goes to this person whose society has said has to be so far removed from somebody that cannot be approached by anybody. And Jesus goes to him and reaches out to him and says, I do choose. And this man is made clean. After we see this, after this man has been made clean, Jesus then tells him to not say anything to anyone, right? That great mystery. But to go instead to the priest and show himself. The priests were the ones who would ultimately um, grant someone back into a community. And so Jesus is relying on those old laws and rituals and is telling the man to go and show himself to the priests so that they will believe that his cleansing came from these rituals. But this does seem odd, right? But if you remember what I said earlier, the authors of Mark believed that we were not going to fully understand who Jesus was until the crucifixion. And so it doesn't matter that Jesus is performing miracles left and right. None of it is really going to make any sense until we get to the cross. But like any person would, the man goes and tells anyone and everyone who will listen. I mean, I know I would. I mean, goodness gracious, when I have a delicious meal, I want to tell everybody that I know. I take to social media and I post pictures and I text my friends. And so you can bet that if this happened to me, I would be telling everyone of the wonderful thing that Jesus had just done for me. And now the man tells so many people that Jesus can't even go into town anymore. He has to stay out in the country, and people end up coming to him. And so there are a few ways that we can tackle this scripture, that we can really start to unpack it. And one of those ways could be that we talk about the stories some of which I told already. And we talk about the ways that we can bring about justice for them and how we bring them back into community. But there's another way that I want to speak about this. And so, spoil alerts, we are going to get there. We're going to flip the narrative here a little bit. But as we start to unpack this scripture, I want you all to think about this question Who are the unclean? Who are the unclean? 
Again, the list of the marginalized could go on and on and on. One of our youth noticed that in the scripture passage we were reading as we were having this discussion together, um, shared a few, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, but that over the years the list has just grown. And so how do we stand with those that are marginalized? How do we stand with people of color that have been told that they cannot exist alongside their white friends? How do we stand with our LGBTQ siblings as they are being told, no, we will not serve you? How do we stand with the unhoused as they are written off completely? How do we stand with those that go unnamed and unnoticed? How do we do what Jesus did by getting angry that in such a way that will bring about change? And how do we refocus all of that energy into work? First, I think it's to be an ally. I found this really great resource on, young, on the Young African Leaders Initiative website that gives some really wonderful first steps to becoming an ally to the marginalized. It begins with saying that we need to start paying attention to what we say And know that it matters because our words can affect people both in positive and negative ways. We have to realize that some of our language can be exclusionary, offensive, and derogatory, even when we don't mean for it to be. They go on to say that we need to be willing to accept correction because none of us are perfect, right? We're all on this journey together learning together, and we have to put our own egos aside and accept when someone points out to us that maybe we haven't been a part of the solution, but we've actually been a part of the problem. Next is to be intolerant of intolerance, so to be willing to stand up against hateful speech that happens towards the marginalized, to not be complicit through silence. And I do want to throw that one out there with caution, friends, because the Facebook comment section may not be where you feel called to do that work, but for some of you, that may be where you feel most strongly to stand up and to speak out for those that have no voice, that have been silenced. And so I want us to always to remember to always speak truth in love. The next one is to seek out the marginalized voices and perspective to really hear their voices and listen to their stories and to lift them up, to give them a platform to share their own experiences. And the last one on the list is to educate yourself and your own community. Again, this is work that we do together. In our baptismal covenant, we are called to resist evil, injustice, oppression, in whatever forms they may present themselves. And so this is a covenant that we make not only with God, but with one another. So be an ally. Stand up for the marginalized. Educate yourself and be willing to grow. After this week's horrible events in Atlanta, I saw so many Asian Americans standing up and speaking out for those that had had their voices taken away from them due to racism and hate. And I'll tell you that when you see people who look like you being slain, it really does something to your heart and to your mind. And so many of you, some of you, may have seen the Facebook post that I made um, this past week. 
I shared a little bit of my own experience of prejudice and racism that I've had to deal with my entire life. From someone asking me where I'm from and not being satisfied with Garland, Texas as an answer, to complete strangers yelling at me and a group of my South Korean adoptee friends to go back to China. I shared this post to ask people to remember the Asian American Pacific Islander communities and the fight against racism. This was a post that I hoped would reach people and open their eyes to feel a little bit of the heartbreak that so many were feeling in that moment so that their hearts might break and want to move towards something better. And the very first comment that I received on that post was not one that I was fully expecting. Someone commented on it and said, I see your point, however, however. That however, friends, cancels out anything and everything I shared of my pain, of my experience, of the pain and experiences that so many had gone through and are going through. I will say, though, that there were many, many, many more people who commented on that post, who reached out to me individually to share words of care and encouragement. Some shared moments of realization that they had been a part of the problem without even knowing it, but they wanted to do better. They wanted to be better. Others shared their own pain with me, standing in solidarity. And a friend who is a colleague and a covenant sister shared this with me. She said, Believe there is a resurrection even for this great, dark, stinky, disgusting tomb of cold, bitter racism. And friends, I do believe it. I believe in light and love and that the darkness, this darkness, will not have the last word. And I have seen that light through you and through others who will not let racism hide behind the disguise of bad days or any other excuse. There is resurrection. And if you agree with me, friends, will you say amen wherever you are or type it in the comments? Because there is resurrection. Another way that I believe that we refocus all of this anger and rage is we have to flip the narrative here. Remember my question that I posed to all of us in the very beginning when we started to unpack the scripture? Who are the unclean? In our scripture today, you might say the man with leprosy was the unclean. I would say the man with leprosy was the unclean. He came to Jesus begging, kneeling, maybe even with tears in his eyes, asking to be made clean. But friends, who are the unclean today? I cannot tell you how many times I have gone to Jesus begging to be made clean, saying to Jesus, I know that I have not fully lived out who God created me to be, that I have not stood up and spoken out when I needed to. So my answer to my own question, who are the unclean today? It's me. It's those who are ill with privilege and with the idea that we are not affected because it is not our story. 
We are the sick when we believe that we do not need to be made clean or be made new. Because for far too long, friends, have people been told that they were not enough. For far too long have people been told that because of the color of their skin, where they are from, who they love, their current circumstance, or any other number of reasons, that they are not worthy of a life of dignity and decency. And for far too long have people just stood by and watched it happen. The man came to Jesus begging kneeling, and that probably took a lot of humility for him to do that. And so this work, this recognition of our own privilege to be made clean is going to be painful. It is going to be eye-opening. It is going to be humbling, but it is work that we are called to do. And the good news, friends, is that Jesus will always reach out to us to remind us that we are chosen that we are loved. The good news is that we have people in our lives to encourage us, to challenge us, to help us learn and grow and to love us. The good news is that we are not alone in this journey of restoration. And so where do we find hope in the midst of all of this? Where do we find this miracle and this restoration work, this work to bring people back into full community? And the restoration work within ourselves, where do we find that miracle? In the song that you are about to hear, it says, There can be miracles if you believe. Though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Who knows what miracles you can achieve when you believe? You are the miracle. A youth of ours said that what brings her hope is when she sees the movement and action that people take to make things better for others. And so I pray that we may be moved as Jesus was moved with anger and frustration and sadness and refocus all of that into work so that someone may be brought back into full community where they can live a life of decency and dignity. I pray that we can see where we can do better, where we can be better, to see the areas of growth that the Holy Spirit is leading us through. May we resist evil and oppression and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves. May we have eyes that truly see people. May our ears take the time to hear their stories and learn from them. And may we have hearts that break when we see injustice in our world and then turn towards action and truth and love. So friends, stop waiting for the miracle to just happen. God has equipped you and me, God has equipped all of us to do this work both within ourselves and out in the world. Go and be the miracle. Amen.